Welcome to So Chill with Andrew and Ryan, the perfect podcast to chill out and relax while we cover topics in business, technology, current events, self-improvement, and success. Boom, we're live. What's up, Andrew? I'm having a great day, man. How are you? I'm having a fantastic day. I just uh, was talking to your friend, well, co- co-worker friend at uh, Staples. Space co-worker. Sp- space. Post co-worker space. Co-worker. Share, shared co-worker. space neighbor. Co- working space co-worker. Yeah. What are, what are the people that you meet at shared co-working spaces? Like, what would you call them? Would you call them like... By their name. Well, no, I mean, like, you wouldn't say, like, my friend from work... Because you don't work at the same company. You'd well, be like, this guy I know with the can. shared office space. You can. <laughs> okay, I guess you could, yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. You'd just be like my friend from work. Yeah, so I was yep. talking to your friend from work, yep. <laughs> who's, a, who's a doctor, a doctor of clinical psychology. That's right. And he's doing some really cool work. He wants to start a charity. Mm-hmm. And as he was telling me this stuff, I'm like, man, do I miss working in a shared office space? Do you? I do. I really do. Oh, I, that was so rhetorical. No, I do. I do miss working in a shop. Okay, so the reason why is like now, you know, I I spend my work day surrounded by people who work at my company, my employees and my business partner. And it's 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 a very closed, you know, except for when the clients come over. the same people day in, day out. Yeah, it's a very closed environment. And, and when you work in a shared office space, and there's so many of them out there now, you get to meet people who do such a wide variety of things. And they're freelancers and they're on their own and building up their dreams and they have aspirations to, you know, if your business is successful, presumably you're not going to be working in a shared office space, you know, in the future. But, but it's a win. But it's a win. Just just the way it's set up, you know, the beginning of a business where it's you and may, maybe one other person at most. And you've got like this little reserved desk if you're lucky. And sometimes you don't even get a reserved desk. I don't have a reserved desk. You just, I just show up and it's not so busy in. that, I, that yeah. I always have a desk. Yeah. So you know, it's it's one of the it's one of the most exciting parts of creating a business. I think I, I think I'm getting a little bit nostalgic just because when I started my soul practice in um, yeah. So when I when I started my firm, I was like, I was a dumb 25, 26 year old kid who didn't know anything from anything, and uh, what I what I knew was that I loved working in that shared office space. Well, there were so that, many then. people. Yeah, yeah that, that much yeah. I knew. Because, you know, there were so many other interesting business owners there at varying levels of success, varying personalities, varying industries. And, you know, everybody, well, not everybody, not literally everybody, but most people at, at times would need the help of a lawyer to talk about their business. And, you know, you're just shooting the shit, um, drinking coffee, and, you know, it's not, not nothing formal. You're just helping them out. Very much like I was doing with your friend right now, your coworker it's friend. It's like you never left a coworking space. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Great networking opportunities, too. I mean, I'm past the point where I'm out there grinding, trying to find the next client everywhere I can go, which I used to do in my 20s. But at this point, it's just about meeting interesting people who are doing interesting work and seeing if I can, if if at all, play a part in the stuff that they're doing. Like, you know, helping uh, Saeed, that's his name, helping Saeed Saeed out with, uh, you know, maybe. Yeah, you've heard that name before. Yeah, I've heard that. That was my dad's. It is my dad's name, actually. Um, You know, if he, if his charity work, you know, takes, gets off the ground. Um, it probably will. I think. It, I think it will. You know, he seems like a hard worker. He seems like the kind of guy who's going to make it's it. A lot of demand too. Yeah, you know that. And if if I'm able to help him set that up, if that's something that we work together on, um, I would feel like you know, 
I at least made a positive impact in the world through his charity and had some small role in that, you know? Right. And that's not the only thing you've done in your life either. No, I mean, like, it's just, I think, I think where all this is coming from is recently. So I think where a lot of this is coming from is like, uh, lately I've been thinking about how adversarial and how negative and how destructive a lot of the legal work that we do is, you know, we're around litigation, litigation. I'm talking about litigation, you know, people who are, you know, suing each other for this, that, and the other thing. And and the, the way those lawsuits unravel, they get very toxic and it's not just, you know, civil litigation. You look at family law, you go look at how ugly some of these divorces go and how acrimonious those relationships are. You know, you go from two people who used to love each other who were married and, we you hope. know, we hope they, we hope at least at some point in their marriage they were happy. And then it turns into this thing where they, you know, they absolutely, you know, they're just trying to cause as much damage to the other person as possible. It's no way to live. Yeah. And, and I think to myself, I'm like, okay, well, I went through all these years of school and then I went through... All these years, I think I've been in business about seven years now. And I'm like, how do I keep doing this but make the experience of my work meaningful, positive, and impactful in, 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 a, in a way that doesn't make the world a worse place, you know? And not to say that, you know, if you're in litigation, you're, you're just making the world a bad place and whatever. I mean, like, where, where do I find, you know, the positivity in your it? Peace, your peace of you mind. Know, peaceful work. Yeah, peaceful work that people appreciate, that everybody can agree, oh, this is a good thing. Because yeah. when you have two counterparties. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's when I, I, you know, we've, and by the way, that's when we've done charity work. When I say charity work, I'm not talking about free legal services. I'm not talking about pro bono work. I'm talking about helping nonprofit organizations become registered charities in Canada, which, by the way, is not a simple process. It's it, it's a process. And we've done it before. And it's just not, it hasn't been like a massive part of our practice, but we had some success with it. And for whatever reason, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to keep chugging away at my litigation thing. But recently I've been thinking to myself, okay, this is something that I might want to take a second look at. This is something that I think could provide a lot of you know, meaning and I keep, you keep using that word a lot, but meaning and impact and, and peace. I can't even think of other words to describe it. Yeah. And those are not words that I've traditionally associated with law. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big change for me. I, when I wake up and I have a work day ahead of me, I think about legacy and dollars because, you know, I'm the head of a household. And so for me, it's uh, dollars means that I get to look after my family and, and legacy means that, yeah. I'm working to make the world at least a little bit better than uh, how it was when I got here. And uh, if I can say that I, I did at both every day, that's that's a good day, you know, or at least something good about that day. You're living the dream right now. You don't realize it because you're living it. You're taking it for granted. Well, I mean, I don't want to assume you're taking it for granted, but it's easy. I'll put it this way. It's easy for you to not notice how incredible your life is right now. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm going to explain what I mean. Thank by you. That. Um, you are, and for anyone who's listening out there, like Andrew is a successful self-employed programmer. He has worked with really big clients. He's made, you know, tons of money when he's wanted to be an employee. And when he's decided that he doesn't want to be an employee, he's, he's done really well for himself working for himself. And while doing all of that, you know, he's got, uh, you know, a uh, wholesome family environment with, you know, wife and two kids at home. And you make it work every day, you know. And 
I look at that, I'm just like, man, like I, I also am running a business much like yourself. And it takes so much out of me that I don't even know like how I would, you know, find the time or the energy or the motivation to give quality experience to kids. I don't have kids, but if I had them, I'd be like, okay, you know, I, I have to give a hundred percent everywhere. I have to, if I'm in my business, I'm giving it my hundred percent. If I'm spending time with my kids, if, and when I have them, I, I got to give them my full attention, my hundred percent. And it's like, where do you find the energy to do all that? I, I mean, it's a rhetorical question. I don't know where you find it, but like, I mean, it's just, I don't know how I would do it, but you, you're making it happen. And it, I think it's really cool. Thanks, man. You know, it's, it's really, um, it's not easy, but it's worthwhile. And one of the things that it makes me think about is this study that they published recently. They did research into discipline. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm, I'm an incredibly disciplined person. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that what they found is uh, desire is way more powerful than discipline. Is if you find meaning in your work, and, and we can make this the meaning podcast episode if you want. Sure, yeah, I guess that's the, that, yeah, that's the podcast. It's the theme today. For whoever's editing this, you've got your title some, somewhere buried in there. <laughs> so you're welcome. But uh, the idea that you have to be self-disciplined to do something that you don't want to do is maybe true, but this is the point that if you're doing something you don't want to do, why are you doing it? You know, um, you got to find a better way. And that's not easy. And it takes thought. But if you give yourself good reasons and you find those reasons and you can find the tasks that are aligned with your reasons, then you're going to have a much easier time. And so uh, actually there's a, a, a great guy in the office here, uh, Alex Reshkanu, who is an expert in the employment services sector who helps people find meaning in their work. And just for somebody else today, um, he he had this really cool deck of cards where uh, each of them are a goal that you can potentially have in your professional life. And he, he helped one of the other uh, uh, co-working space co members to yeah. – uh, uh, he helped one of the other people in the office uh, – Recenter why he works, and and it gave him a lot of meaning in his next project, and so I think that there's so much value in doing the work ahead of time of really figuring out why you're doing your work, and when you know why you're doing your work, time flies. You know, it's just like you're having fun, but you're working. What's your why? My why is, is legacy and dollars. You know, dollars means family for me because I'm a provider for my family. And uh, legacy, uh, right now I'm, I'm doing great work with uh, Big Brothers Canada and 211. Actually, I'll tell you the full name. It's Big Brothers Big Sisters Canada. Uh, and I'm working with one of their initiatives, Mentoring Canada. Uh, and they're out of Montreal, but I think they're national. So... Um, the project is really interesting. It's called CHORDS, and, and that stands for Contextual Opportunities and Resources Distribution System, um, which doesn't tell you what it does or how people are going to use it, but that's a common thing in, in, in business and product development. When you, you build something and when you do something, the reason that you're doing it is not necessarily the person that somebody else needs you to do that thing. But... Um, what it does is it, it's going to connect 
Canadians, specifically youth, but anybody can use the website freely with uh, help and, and job opportunities. And so we want to keep track of uh, what are the jobs that people click on so that we can help the, the job offerings understand or the job offers, the employers understand um, what are the places where people go look for jobs, uh, what kind of jobs do people look for um, other than just the, the job that they're offering so they can better tailor their their job description to speak to somebody with those skills. Sounds like you're doing some public service through programming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really great to be able to do uh, that kind of public service, to have the legacy and the meaning. And, and you know what, like, I really feel like all the companies I've worked for, with the exception of very, very few, maybe one or two companies a long time ago, uh, when I just, I needed the money and, and I didn't see the full value there and I was doing it for uh, just the money and not the legacy, uh, it didn't last. But all the companies I've worked for have had really cool mission statements. And, and I think most employer, employers won't hire you most employers won't hire you unless you are in line with the mission statement because most of the time they interview a lot of candidates and so they get to pick somebody who is actually excited about the job. If you're hiring somebody who's not excited about the job, what are you doing? Oh, my God. I recently hired a guy who was so excited about the job. He's currently working at my company. He's probably going to freak out if I give him a shout-out on the podcast. But um, I was looking for a digital marketing assistant and that's not a role that you normally associate with being an employee in a law firm. Um, but, you know, we like to do things differently and we like to make sure that we're out there engaging with people online. So I've been doing a lot of that myself for, you know, since since the beginning. But it came to a point where I'm like, this is just too much. So I was looking for a digital marketing assistant and I had 65 people apply to the job. Maybe, maybe more than that by the end of it. How many and profiles did you actually get the chance to look at? Oh, I, I look at all of them. I look at I look at all the applications that come in. Amazing. You know? Yeah, it, and it you know it doesn't take long. You know you can. It's true what they say. You know um, sometimes you'll get about six seconds of the recruiting person's attention, and that's you know you've probably heard that online. I have heard. And that. and and you know sometimes it's longer. Maybe maybe someone will give you a twenty or thirty second glance through your application, but you've really got to uh, capture that person's attention quickly. And that's what uh, that's what happened with this candidate. You know, I was I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about how he was ex really excited for the job. But I mean, in the first six seconds of looking at his application, it immediately jumped out at me that he had skills um, that were very relevant to the job. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Just just without even reading what was on his resume, instantaneously in the first half a second of glancing at it, it was so colorful and was so well designed yet professional. I'm not talking about you know like you know, flowers all over the place or something like that. I mean, like, just the way the information was just spread out on the page with, with blocks and colors and, you know, icons and all kinds of interesting stuff. I was like, whoa, I can just I can just glance through this, and I know it's comfortable to read, and I know exactly which kind of tech, kind of tech and design-related skills he has. And maybe that's unique to that kind of role, and maybe, you know, if you're applying to a different kind of job, you don't want such a flashy resume, but he knew, you know, he knew that this is the kind of job I'm applying for. This person is going to want design and digital marketing skills. And, you know, the resume has to reflect that. And that was the only resume that in, even remotely 
had that kind of, you know, um, visual appeal. So, you know, I, I contacted him for an interview and, and it was like, <laughs> it was like the, the candidate in the interview was like exactly the kind of guy that I would expect to have made a resume like that. That's amazing. He was just so full of energy, so enthusiastic about um, design and quality design, building relationships with clients in a meaningful way, you know, which we call marketing, you know. Um, he had so many ideas for like video content and everything that was very relevant to people today. He has, he has a good read on like um, the kind of stuff you see on TikTok. You know, TikTok is full of trends and memes that like you know if you if you don't get it you don't get it but if you've seen it you're like aha you know that's that's funny that's good stuff so he had a read on all that and i was so like he knows the cultural context yeah he, he's got the cultural context of of you know everyday people and 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 lawyers are notorious for not being able to relate to like the average everyday person and that's what people one of the things that people don't like about lawyers it's just like you know come back down to earth you know like you know let me talk to you like a human being so i you know i i had I saw a lot in him that I'd seen in myself when I was, you know, um, building my craft as a digital marketing, you know, like professional professional. Yeah. I, I almost didn't want to use the word cause I like I, but I am, a, I am a digital marketing professional, but you know, it's almost like when you're a lawyer, you're pigeonholed into that and that's what you are. Yeah, and you don't want to tell but, people about the other stuff because then they want to, they want you to do that instead of yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I mean like when I was coming up as a digital marketing professional, like I saw a lot of the drive and energy and, and, and talent in this candidate that I saw, you know, I, you know, now I'm just like, stroking my own ego, but like you, you hire people that you relate to, especially if you have been doing that job for so long, you want someone who's going to do it as well as you do, or maybe even better. And in fact, I have to say in some respects, he has done the job better than I would because he's wow. just got a, he's got a very, he's got an aptitude for solving problems. Whereas I look at things in like the framework of what I already know and what, because he's still building some of his skills, he's able to think outside the box and he's not sort of like distracted by previous knowledge right you know that's, that's the curse of wisdom yeah you, absolutely you, you start to see things a certain way and you're like this you is how it rigid. has to be done and it's, it becomes rigid that's exactly the word it becomes rigid and you don't want rigidity especially in something like digital marketing say hire smart people and get out of the way yeah and that's tough for a lot of business owners you're gonna you're gonna learn that too eventually when you have employees um this idea i think most business owners can relate especially if you've been doing what you do for for long enough you think to yourself, nobody can do this as well as I do it. And the thing with that, that I've seen in personal experience is sometimes you're right about that. And sometimes you are so dead wrong about that because I've seen situations where, you know, I've maybe not me, maybe my business partner will train somebody on how to do something. And it's, it's a very critical task and they'll walk them through it multiple times and be like, okay, this is how it has to be done. And either because the person, you know, we don't have anyone working in our company like this right now, but either because the person doesn't have the interest or the passion for the task, or they don't have the, you know, the skills for, to, to handle a task like that. Um, and they aren't interested in building those skills, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, I've seen situations where um, we try to delegate 
and then the task gets done so poorly that there are devastating consequences. And then I'm looking at my business partner and she's telling me like, I should have just done this myself because nobody can do it as well as I do. But I'm like, hey, you got to remember, look, I there are- that goes back to hiring a person who's excited to do the job. Exactly. Who's aligned with the mission, who understands the meaning, who wants yeah. to do it. I've seen situations that are the complete opposite where I'm like, you know what? I, I hired this person and they're doing it better than I ever could. And I don't want to do that task anymore. I don't, I don't think it, the company would be served well by me handling that when there's this other amazing employee who can do it better than me. And the clients win, the team wins, the brand wins, everybody wins by me delegating this. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know that you can't be the best at everything. No, you can't. It's impossible. And if you, the longer you go on thinking that you are, the more you're going to restrict yourself from the growth that your business could be experiencing, you know, there's, there's a, there's a point where you can take your business to the next level, but you're not going to be able to do it. If you're married to this idea that I'm the only person here that can do all of these things perfectly, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You got to find your niche. And, uh, you know, when you're running, calling the shots, that niche is putting the right people in the right chairs. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard. You know, Steve Jobs used to say, like, he he thought that he felt that his primary role was to find good people for his team. You know, it wasn't necessarily like, I don't even think, I think if anyone who's read the biography of Steve Jobs knows that, like, it was really Steve Wozniak who was the technical genius behind a lot of what was happening. And Steve was sort of the business guy and the and the marketing guy. And, you know, all these skills are equally valuable. But, you know, something that, you know, he, he would have to, if he wasn't as good at, at getting good people on the team, I don't think Apple would have become what it is. Yeah, from what I know about Steve Jobs is he was uh, meticulous when it comes to detail. Yeah, oh, of course. And that's, you know, you, you look at most small business owners and I, I was, I was t okay, so I had a cup of water in my hand. I was tapping it on the table and it's probably ruining the audio. But um, <laughs> so he was, you know, you look at most small business owners out there. And I mean, like there's probably a ton of people out there who, you know, at various levels in their business, or maybe they're thinking about creating a business. They have a Shopify store and, you know, they're selling, you know, clothing or candles online. Um, or they have a, you know, a bigger operation than that. And you look at, you know, one of the common denominators amongst business owners, whether it's small, medium, or large, they tend to be very meticulous about control in their business and control in the details. And they, they tend to be people who don't like giving up control. And that's, you know, that's actually to the benefit of the business. If, if the person is intelligent and knows what they're doing and they have a good read on what's happening and they're in control of all of it, that's actually a good thing. But if, on the other hand, if you're working with someone who is a control freak and they're also not that great at what they're doing, then what they're going to do is they're going to overpower everyone around them and the end result of all that effort is going to be nothing. So I haven't read Steve Jobs' biography, but is that why he was fired in the first place from Apple? Um, I, so it was a long time ago that I read it and I honestly can't even remember why the, the board decided to vote him out like the way they did. I do remember from the bits and pieces that I remember is that he went and started another company called Next <laughs> and then they ended up buying Next and he came right back in. An acquire. Which was like, 
just one of the most ballsy, like, badass things he could have done, you know? Fired from his own company, start a better company, and then they come back and they're like, we want to buy you. <laughs> you got to hand it to the guy, you know? Like, he just he just never quit. But I mean, He's like... absolutely relentless. We're not going to turn this into, like, a Steve Jobs worship it's session. It's about meaning. Yeah, it's about, it's about, you know, we're talking about, you know, what it's like, the experience of being... Um, a business owner, the, the experience of finding meaning and impact in your work, uh, no matter what the scale is, you know, like you're right now, you're, you're solo and you're doing great. And maybe you'll have employees in the future. Maybe you won't. Maybe that's not part of the legacy that you want to leave behind. And it's interesting. You talk about legacy at the age that you are. You're like, what, 34? That's right. You're 34 now. And you're thinking about legacy. A lot of people don't even think about legacy until they're in their sixties. Wow. You know, like it's just, they just kind of coast through life. And then once they're in the, you know, the, the late stages of life, they start asking themselves questions like, you know, what, what am I going to leave behind? You know, what's the world going to remember about me? I bet there's yeah. a big difference in the age that people think about legacy between those who uh, have kids and don't have kids. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because having kids, I mean, again, speaking as someone who doesn't have any, makes you think of a world beyond your lifetime. They changed my life for sure. Yeah. Well, you were telling me, like, the day... And now correct me on the details, but the day you had, was it your first child? First child? Yeah. Well, the what day, was the, the detail? So I, I'm about to tell, explain it. So right. the day you had your first child, you were, the story you were telling me was you were crossing the street. And Oh, yeah. yeah I used yeah. to How about be you a notorious it? jaywalker. Uh-huh. And then, and then uh, I got my wife pregnant, and we realized that it, it you know, it took. And, uh, and I... I didn't even cross the street the same way, you know, like I, but I it's interesting how, like how it changed responsible person now. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to, to jaywalk and I realized I can't do this anymore. There's an unborn person that relies on me or will rely on me. And, and so I have to be uh, a more responsible person. Yeah. And it, it affected the way you cross the street. You know, you're like, if I get hit by a car, Who's going to take care of that kid? That's right. You know, and if it affects, if it changes that, a small thing like that, imagine how, you know, I guess you don't have to imagine. It's All your the life. other things. But if, if you're like me and you're listening and you don't have kids, imagine how everything else in your life also shifts. That's right. You know, that's, that's something else, man. I don't know. I, one day I'm going to be looking back on this podcast and just probably laughing at myself. Like that's how I used to talk about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah. It could happen. Do you want to talk about selling a business? You were reading a book about this very recently. Yeah, two books. What was uh, it? Tell me about it. Uh, I, You know what? I got to look up the actual details. We can put it in the, the, the comments section or the uh, description, the of, description the, yeah. of the episode. But uh, I think it's John Warrillow. I'll double check that. John Warrillow has written three books and has created a certification around being a value creator in the context of startups and business. He hasn't paid us to talk about it. I don't even know who this person is. He doesn't know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) We're just literally talking about books now. Yeah. And um, I think that selling a business is a very valuable thing to have done because it helps you understand how to take yourself out of a business. And that touches on delegation. It touches on having a a smooth running system with everybody knowing how they add value to the company, 
um, how they can increase the value that they add to increase their compensation, um, what you can do as a business owner uh, and manager to make the company valuable to somebody else, uh, not only your clients, but also a potential buyer or investor. And I think it's valuable to think about why would somebody buy the business that I've built, uh, not only from a financial perspective, but also from a, a, a genuine value creation perspective. And, and so it's interesting that there's a certification that I, I haven't looked too much into it, uh, but it's called the Value Creator Certification. And the idea of business's value is something that really appeals to me because I, you know, I, I have kids and what I tell my kids that I'm going to do when I leave the house is do nice things for people. That's what work is. And I think you're, you're really lucky if you um, can say that and believe it and, and really do that day in, day out, because a lot of people don't love their jobs. And it's almost a rite of passage that you notice. You just see your parents when you're a kid as tired at the end of the day. And you don't necessarily recognize that they feel fulfilled from having helped a lot of people. Uh, and they might not be, but a parent who comes home and tells their kid, oh, I had such a great day at work. I got a lot done helping people. That is one of the, the best things that you can instill in your kids because, you know, I remember uh, my dad coming home from work and, and being tired. And, and he actually worked for a, a nonprofit, uh, and I didn't know for a long time. Uh, he worked for CCAB, the Canadian Circulation Audit Board, which uh, audited the circulation of print media in Canada. Oh, wow. And it got bought by BPA International, okay. which did the same thing. So it made sense for them to be acquired. Um, but funny story, he worked for CCAB. In Early in my career, I worked for CCAC. So my kids, I figure, will probably go work for CCAD. That's a dad joke right there. That is a dad joke. Ladies right and gentlemen, you're Andrew's first dad joke in the first episode. <laughs> Half an hour in. <laughs> well, that's really cool. How's your dad doing now? Uh, he's still in the hospital. Okay. And uh, they're bringing him a, a phone charger today because uh, it didn't last from yesterday to today. Um Yesterday was a, a rough day for, for my family. Uh, I called my dad, you know, around the time that he wakes up and uh, was just checking in as usual, just calling him to see what the weather is like in, out in uh, sunny Victoria, British Columbia. And he started coughing and he said, I'll call you back. And immediately I was worried because my dad's almost 70 and... Uh, I waited a few minutes and called the landline instead of his cell phone, and he picked up and he was still coughing. He said, I'll call you back. They say if you can cough, you can breathe. So that was some relief. But uh, I waited and I waited, and um, then I called the landline, and uh, my my younger brother uh, answered, and he said that uh, my mom had taken my dad to the hospital. And uh, he has, I think it's called dysphagia. 
it was not COVID. It wasn't COVID. Was worried no, about that. it was. Yeah. It's uh, he just uh, having trouble um, swallowing fluids, so he was coughing a lot, um, and his voice sounded very raspy for half of the day. But by the end of the day, it sounded okay. And um, they did several tests, and they haven't found anything yet. So uh, I don't know if that's positive. I'm not a medical professional by any means, but. Um, they're still looking into it, which I'm very grateful for that, you know, we have uh, the great healthcare system that we do in Canada that, um, you know, it's it's not something that's going to bankrupt the family um, and they're going to yeah. look after him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear things are, you know, he's going to be OK. But um, the part about bankrupting the family, you know, there's probably a lot of Americans out there, you know, the first thing that their mind goes to is like, oh my God, how much is that going to cost? Yeah, do I even want to go to the hospital? Yeah, yeah, and that's just, as Canadians, this is something we just don't even think about. That's right. An American doctor is in the unfortunate position they have to say to a lot of patients, your money or your life. Yeah. And you know what, I don't, to be clear about this, before, you know, anyone is going to be like, oh, here we go, like a couple of Canadians talking about how great their public health care is. Like, I don't think it's black and white. I think this question of like, Comparing Canadian healthcare to American healthcare, specifically these two countries. I don't know what it's like in other countries. I have no idea. But when you look at these two countries, I think the entire comparison is a bit of a shade of gray because I've personally, you know, I know people personally who went through very, very serious medical problems and they were uh, in America. And the person I'm thinking of is actually uh, is a dual citizen, Canadian and American, has lived in both countries for a long time. And this person had very serious medical problems while living in America. And I guess they had, you know, really great coverage or whatever the case was. And the, the care that they received was beyond anything that I had heard of in Canada. It was just like, if you've got money and you've got coverage and you, you know, you're somebody, um, you will get world-class treatment at the right, if you're at the right hospital, I'm sure it differs by state and stuff like that. But, um, they told me, you know, like, I won't say who they are, but that person told me if I was in Canada, I don't know if I'd be alive today. Wow. And I'm, I'm actually softening the comment. It was the comment that the person said to me was, was more so that they, they kind of believe that they probably wouldn't be alive today. So, you know, it's like you look at, you look at the resources we have here, and I, I should say the, the limited resources that our healthcare system has here by comparison, um, and, you know, how much of our tax dollars go to funding public health care. Do I think I would rather live in a world where people are being denied medical services or not? Sorry, the, you're not going to be denied medical services, but you know, you'll be treated, but you will be bankrupt by the end of it. So would I rather, rather live in the world where people are having to choose, you know, between their money and their health? No, I don't, I don't think that's a viable option. I don't think the, you know, and I, you know, when you look at what Joe Biden is trying to do to change that, I think that's positive. I don't think, you know, people should have to make that choice. At the same time, you know, you create this wonderful system that endures in pretty much 99% of the developed world minus America where you have public health care and I think you do lose a little bit of the quality of medical care um, and it, it's not like if we take the conversation away from 
medicine for a moment and you look at anything that the government does versus what the, how the private sector does, um, generally speaking, you see um, higher quality products and services in the private sector than you do being dispensed by the government. And that's not a political comment. That's not, I mean, I, I, get, I, I can recognize my own bias being a, a business owner in the private sector. Um, it's literally just my life experience looking at services that I've received from private companies and services and goods and services I've received from the government. And, you know, I think my experience is similar to what a lot of people out there have seen. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Uh, I think that you know when you receive goods and services from the government, for the most part, those are just companies that were contracted to from the government. You know, it's not um, it's not Justin Trudeau administering a vaccine, right? It's uh, it's a clinic that gets paid to administer a vaccine. Justin Trudeau just writes a check. I mean, yeah, yes and no. So when when the government retains private companies that's that's true but then there are crown corporations out there there Canada are Post. yeah there are companies out there that are run with uh without the incentive of profit and competition you know um that's a true. lot of you know as running a law firm a lot of the quality that that drives the fact that you know if we don't do it there is another law firm that will you know if if we don't offer online bookings you know in the, in the old days you'd have to call up a lawyer's receptionist and go and sit in a waiting room and, you know, and it was inconvenient. But nowadays, you know, you can book a lawyer online and you can be chatting sometimes for free with a lawyer within 20 or 30 minutes. And it's just so convenient and it's so great for clients. And the reason so many law firms are doing it is because of the private market and competition. One or two law firms start and then a bunch of them follow. So yeah, I, I do think competition is good for customers and clients uh, competition between businesses, but also I, I'm I'm not so short-sighted to believe that to, to 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 overlook the fact that the private sector has failed people in a lot of ways, and that's why it needs regulation. You know, that's why you've got you know these pharma boys that are jacking up the prices of medication, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand percent, and they shouldn't well, be doing that. A lot of moonshot products like the World Wide Web and the Internet didn't come from the private sector; they came from government research and development. And yep. actually, a lot of the research and development in Canada uh, is eligible for something called SHRED, which are credits that the government of Canada pays to private corporations for innovating. Yep. So, you know, it's it's really not simple. Oh, yeah, and you look at, look, in America, look at their, their tax dollars are going towards funding research and development for private pharmaceutical companies who then turn around and sell those pharmaceutical products to the public at in, in insane yeah. prices. Public funds, private profits. Yeah. It's just like That's that, that doesn't make sense to me. And yeah. I, I think, and I'm just, this is just from memory. I, you, know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Pfizer said that they didn't use tax dollars. They didn't use public money to come to, to develop the COVID vaccine. They I did that know. on I'll their own steam. That's, that's just from my memory. Again, don't quote me on it. Like, you can Google it. You can look it up. Do if they you're receive funding for anything? They, so, so I think the, the fact that there is so much attention, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But there's, the fact that there's so much attention on pharmaceutical companies receiving R&D money from our tax dollars, that probably motivated a lot of their decision. You know, if I'm right about 
what I'm remembering. Um, you know, they, the last thing that they want is you know, for yet another news story where people are saying our tax dollars were used to come up with this life-saving vaccine and then now you're trying to sell it to us at a profit. So that's a that's a bad, very bad image to have for a yeah. pharmaceutical company. Absolutely. These days. Anyway. Or any company. Any company, yeah. You're using tax dollars, you know. If, if, if the public helped you come up with a product, you got to give back in some way. Now, not that, I'm not against profits of some kind, but, like, there's got to be some something that you do for the public, what, you know, that you can afford as a corporation, as a multi-billion-dollar corporation that has a charitable public benefit if you're going to take the public's money to, to build these products. What if you don't take the public's money? Well, that's a different story, right? Like, if, if you're a private investor and you have a great idea and a great product and you want to sell it to the to the public for a reasonable profit, nothing insane, but, uh, you know, that's, that's capitalism. You know, a lot of people hate capitalism right now. And I think unregulated, you know, uh, unrestricted capitalism can be a very devastating thing. Yeah, I think unrestricted anything is, is dangerous. Yeah. But, we, you know, we, just, just for context, we live in Ontario, the, one of the most regulated places in the world. We have so – and I'm saying this as, as a lawyer, you know, like I know the, the massive amount of regulation that exists in the, the various industries we have out there from construction to medicine and law and everything else. Like you want to start a business in Ontario, the first thing you better be doing is talking to a lawyer about whether or not, you know, there's some – regulation out there that you have to comply with it's not like other countries where you can just like open up shop and just do whatever right so some people think it's a little bit overregulated, but i i don't know i, I can't again it's it's not black and white yeah i i really don't have the international context in law to uh to be able to comment on that but we do have nice weather right now <laughs> i can say that much and that's a fact. <laughs> it's a, it's I don't a beautiful see day out there, yeah. One cloud in the sky. <laughs> Trees are green. It's basically summer here in Toronto. Yeah, we don't we don't get a lot of it at, in Canada. It's a, it's a cold cold you know, 9 9 8 9 months of the year. It's not very pleasant. You get used to it and then you kind of yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. Well, we we were both born and raised. You're you're born in Toronto. In Toronto. I was, I was right, born in, Toronto. in North York. And then I grew up in Nova Scotia. So I was born downtown. You're born right in downtown. You're in a Toronto hospital. boy to the core. Yeah, I won't say which hospital. But it was St. <laughs> Mike's. It was St. Mike's. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm speaking of growing up, I mean, I, I miss Nova Scotia. It was, a very, it was a very pleasant province to be in, you know, especially as a kid growing up. I've heard good things, but yeah. I've never been other, other than maybe in an airport. Yeah, there's it's, it's a lot to see out in Nova Scotia, you know? Like, there's the cliche, typical stuff, you know, you've, everybody's seen pictures of Peggy's Cove and the lighthouse and the Atlantic Ocean out on, online. But, I mean, there's there's other, you know, there was a, I remember there was a restaurant we used to go to right on the water where you would, I forget the name, it was so long ago. I think it was called the, no, I'm not going to remember it. I'm not gonna even going to try. But I anyway, heard uh, the, it Nova was, Scotia rocks you would, and Nova Scotia trees. And Nova Scotia water are all really nice. <laughs> so, so is that this, we go to this restaurant, me and my, my parents and my brother. Um, you could see all the lobster traps just outside the, That's awesome. the restaurant. Yeah, oh, yeah. They would catch them, you know, right out of the ocean. And then, like, um, you know, you, I used to order the clam chowder. I've heard of that. I mean, like, clam chowder in the Maritimes properly 
made by a good chef is not the kind of clam chowder you're getting out of like a can at the grocery store. It's, you know, is I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> so you don't like great. it from a can? I mean, I don't. I don't. I generally try try to, you know, cook a fulsome meal as much as I can. I mean, uh, if I'm if I'm in a rush and I'm saving some time and I'm just fast and then just grab a can opener, whatever's, you know, in my cabinet and I'm going out the door. But like, um, you know, I try to, look before I came here, I cooked myself up some beef short ribs for lunch and had a fulsome meal before I That's came fantastic. Over. Yeah. So do you know how to make clam chowder? Absolutely not. I do not know how to make clam it's chowder. It's just clams? It's just clams. I'm sure there's more to it than just clams. Maybe cream, <laughs> salt and pepper. <laughs> I'm sure there's a chef out there right now who's just like, Face palming is like no, there's there's more to it than this. <laughs> now see so. now I got I a craving. So. Now I want to I want to find a place and go. Well, we're still in lockdown now. We can't, can't go can't anywhere. go find can't a go can't find a restaurant that will serve yeah. up some clam chowder. Yeah, whoever's listening to this, there you know there's 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 a percentage of listeners out there who are gonna Google clam chowder and maybe order it. Because we've been talking about it so that's much. That's right. <laughs> and if you want to use our referral code. <laughs> we don't have one, so yeah, sorry right. about that. <laughs> and also, now you know, if you want to get on Ryan's good side, it's clam chowder. <laughs> Man, see, there's, there's a memory that I just got unlocked that I didn't even know was floating around in there. I had not thought about that restaurant and that clam chowder and all that Nova Scotia stuff for a long, long time. Last time, you know, I was moved out of Nova Scotia when I was maybe 14 years old. I'm 33 now. 33? Uh, yeah, I'm 33. So I was like, you know, we're going to let old. you in the building. I know, right? Come back in 10 years when I'm old enough to play with the big boys out here. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, but it is really good out here. In I mean, like, you don't, you don't get a lot of really great weather. Um, and I'm not going to knock it because, like, you can be like, oh, these guys are talking about the weather now in this podcast. Can I think of something else? Seriously, we had so much, so much sadness and depression from uh, the pandemic in Ontario. Pa- Ontario, arguably worse than most places in North America right now. Like, I mean, like, and just to get a sunny day with, you know, the, the trees are, you know, looking great and the, the clouds and everything. It's just like a perfect summer day. You know, the first, you know, uh, time in a long time that we feel like there's there's some reason to just be positive and feel and good grateful. and feel grateful and energetic. Grateful you for know? every little thing, even the weather. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we both got vaccinated recently. Sure did. Yeah. You know, that just that took, that took a weight off my shoulders right there. And, you know, that's a vaccine. Some people are like, you know, I don't I don't trust it. I don't think I want it. I don't want to be an experiment. Other people out there are like, I can't wait to get it. It's going to change my life. I'm going to feel great. And you, no matter how you feel about it, just good for you. You know, do what you got to do. If you don't want it, then just wake up every morning happy that you didn't take it. And if you want it, just uh, book yourself an appointment and go out and get one if you if you live in a country where you're, you're lucky enough to be able to do that kind of thing. And then once you got your shot, you know, wait two weeks and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're gravy. You're good. I don't know. I think that... It's it's something that you you kind of have to do. You have to get the vaccine. So it's like your your civil like civil duty. Like your yeah, I think it's your your civic duty to yeah. go and get the vaccine. My dad lost cousins to polio. Now that's vaccinated and basically eradicated. Let's eradicate COVID. Yeah, yeah, we could. This is the thing, though. Like, I mean. 
I'm, I'm again, just so everyone's clear on where I stand on this, I think the vaccine is uh, fantastic. I think everybody. Which one? All, all, all of them. And what I mean by all of them, like I know that there's been a lot of like negative news about uh, negative adverse events around AstraZeneca. But, I got the AstraZeneca. But, okay. So what I'm saying is, and Vox has a really, really good video about this. Every single one of the major vaccines you've, you've heard of from AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, every one of them has a 100% efficacy rate at preventing hospitalization and death. So if your goal is to just, you know, if you're, like, worried that, you know, okay, I don't want to live with the fear of maybe COVID is going to kill me. You could get the vaccine and you won't have to live with that thought in your head that, you know, you might still catch it. And it might not, but you won't die. From but you it. won't die from it. And you will probably won't even end up in a hospital. That because sounds of like it. a win-win. Not bad, right? And again, a lot of people out there. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of people out there who are like, you know, this thing is gonna, you know, give my, you know, get, ruin my health in some way. Or you're gonna grow a third arm. You know, you're gonna. Throw, I oh, could oh, use oh. a third arm. You know, like something's gonna happen to me. You know, they're gonna whatever, right? There's all these apprehensions people have. Okay, you know what? It's a free country. You're free to think things that are not necessarily true, True, you know, and you're free to, to do things that don't harm other people. And I don't think that, uh, you know, if you take a bunch of vaccinated people and a bunch of unvaccinated people in the room and all the people that are unvaccinated specifically are against getting the vaccine and all the ones who are vaccinated were, you know, it was very important to them that they wanted to get it and you put them all in a room, who's being harmed? It's the unvaccinated people that might transmit COVID to another unvaccinated person, yeah. but they signed up for that. That's what they wanted. And all the vaccinated people are not, uh, you know, in any kind of danger from the, unvac- from the unvaccinated people. So That's it's like true. at you this know point, you yeah. know, it's like you can just, you know, if you want to be protected, go get your vaccine. If you don't or you don't think it's, you know, if you just think this whole thing is bogus and it's not necessary, fine, don't. Do you remember Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics? Um, don't harm humans by action and don't disobey an order from a human unless it violates the first law yeah and And then what's the third one don't let harm come to yourself to yourself to yourself so there's a self-preservation protocol for robots unless it violates the first two i i can't remember the order of the second or the third yeah gotcha but um the first one actually is not only by action or inaction can you allow harm to come to a human and i mean like it's normal to hold computers robots machines to higher standards than we hold our fellow humans but at the same time Whose company would you rather in that case? I actually think we do hold humans to that standard. You look at every, you know, modern system of law in the world, and it's based on this fundamental principle of don't bring harm to another person. So what does that mean for being vaccinated? Well, I guess it depends on, like, what you think is going to happen if you get a vaccine, right? If you think it's going to make your health somehow worse, uh, or if you think it's going to, which is... Or you think it's just going to make your life better and safer, which is obviously I believe the latter. I I got vaccinated because I believed it would protect me and make my life better. So, you know, I guess it all depends on your beliefs. Yeah, your belief. And again, your belief might not add up to the reality. Your belief might not be supported by facts facts and evidence. 
evidence, yeah. you know, science, but uh, it's okay. You have the right to believe it. People have the right to believe whatever they want to believe. I think people just need to stop hating each other about, you know, their, their positions on this stuff. You know, there's such a, we live in such a polarized world. You know, it, it just boggles my mind. It's really depressing sometimes. Like people will pick something and then that tells them that that issue or whatever tells them who their friends are and who their enemies are. So, you know, you know, whatever your stance is on the vaccine, whatever your stance is on masks, whatever your stance is on abortion, whatever your stance is on whatever, you know, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberals, whatever. Right. Like you're part of greens. Yeah. You know, you're thrown into a team. And then now your job is to, like, hate and attack everybody who's not on your team or whatever. It's just yeah, like that's, where that's no no way to live you yeah know, because it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast where you know you feel like sometimes in the litigation aspect of your job that two people or two parties are against each other and wouldn't it be nice if you could find a win-win situation where win-win is both parties feel like they're happier than they were before where they're more successful where they've they've gotten something good that happened and you know, unfortunately, in life, we, we've all encountered traumatic events, and it takes a lot of work to recognize, understand, and heal from those events. And if you don't, you're going to perpetuate that same situation repeatedly. And, and finding that win-win situation um, in, in every situation, like you said about... Um, vaccines and and all the other issues you mentioned is not easy but it's worthwhile yeah 100 percent. we go from here <laughs> i don't know i'm getting kind of hungry <laughs> you were you were saying that when we were walking in yeah that was almost two hours ago yeah that was uh yeah it was a lot, time flies you know i mean you can order up some uber eats if you want just have them bring it right upstairs they say here's scratch your marks um that's what time this, flies when you're having fun like an arrow. Oh, okay. Fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> Dad joke number two. I mean, I'm counting them right now. Yeah, it's every half hour. Yeah, this is on what the hour. This is what I've I've had to listen to ever since Andrew had kids. What, like eight years ago, nine years ago? Yeah, almost um, nine years ago. Uh, nine years ago, man. That that's time really does fly. almost a decade. Oh my, God. oh my gosh, I wow. gotta go spend time with my kids, dude. You. you <laughs> We're in the middle of recording this session. It's, yeah, gotta just, go. Gotta go. Gotta fly off. Just spend time with the kids. It's like it's like where? Like, so tell me what what went through your mind where you were like, I'm doing this thing that's for me, and I need to like stop because I feel guilty, and I need to go spend time with my kids now because I've been a dad for nine years. Like some somewhere in the thought process of this conversation, you landed on I need to stop this and go spend time with my kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, you keep talking about them. You keep bringing them up, and so you know. Yeah. I don't even know what they're doing. I bet you they're watching YouTube videos right now. Cats. They're fine. They're taking care of themselves. Do you know Maru? Maru the cat? No, I don't know Maru the cat. Maru the cat has uh, very interesting owners. They they dress up Maru. They buy expensive toys for Maru and like jungle gyms for cats. And and now they're cat influencers on YouTube. So that's that's one legacy, you know. It's a legacy for some people. That's what they want to do, and that's the impact they're having on the world. And um, another dad joke, but it's in French. Oh, well, we are in Canada. All right, so... Quelle est la différence entre un grand robot puis un grand 
Boro. I don't know what any of that meant. Uh, what's the difference between a big robot and a big burp? That's and then you burped. And then I burped. I didn't get the joke. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but they sound the same. Grand robot and grand boro. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's it's like a French rhyming going on. Yeah, there. but you yeah. know what's coming. The whole yeah. joke, like yeah. it's like the guy just wants an excuse to burp. If into you a speak microphone. French, you know what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what's coming. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> my reaction. And then you're just like, Andrew, why did you burp into the mic? I purposely just did not burp into the mic. <laughs> Tried really hard not to burp into the mic, Andrew. What are you doing? It's good. It's not that kind of podcast, Andrew. Yeah, yeah no. We have kids or something yeah. under ten. No, oh, man. Yes. But you don't. That's, that's the thing, right? Like you're you're more than just people are people are more than just one label. You know, like yeah, you're a dad. Yeah, okay, like great. Two, three labels. You know, you like you're also a a, a bit like a. Self-employed entrepreneur, you're a programmer. Yeah, you're a you're a martial artist. We haven't talked about that. We haven't you talked. Know, we're about an hour that. into the podcast, close to an hour, depending on what the yeah, editing usually is. Usually, it's within yeah. the first hour of meeting somebody that I tell them. Dude, with you, artist. it's within like the first ten minutes. Like you'll be talking about. Tell tell us about your what was it, Krav Maga? No, you were going to take Krav Maga lessons because you've taken other no, martial- no, I was going to take. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, okay. That's what it was. Yeah. I studied Kung Fu for 14 years. It was amazing. It was a really big part of my life. And then I moved away to go to university. And um, and and I just went to the gym instead. But uh, it's a really positive thing. gives you a lot of self-control, discipline, and confidence. And, um, and I would really recommend that people try it for at least you know, a year in your life. It's only one year. You're going to live maybe 100 years. Do it for at least a year so you can understand what the benefits are. If you're getting those benefits from some other discipline in your life, that's that's great. Just do whatever you love. But there's so much potential in martial arts for somebody to uh, to receive a lot of benefit. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I did like that, it was like, I think when I was eight years old, I had some like... My parents put me in like a karate class or something, but like that doesn't count, you know. Like unless it you counts. pursue, well, I guess yeah, it counts to whatever extent that it does. But like unless you pursue martial arts, you know, throughout your adolescence and into your adult life, um, you lose it. You know, your body changes and your, you know, other stuff comes into play. Like you, you get a desk job or whatever, and a lot of people, and then a lot of people don't lose it. They you know, they get really really good, and they're like, you know what, I'm gonna join MMA and I'm gonna. You know, get on the Joe Rogan podcast. or (laughs) Actually, these days I do not consider myself still a martial artist. Unfortunately, uh, I've I've left the the practice and the art. Uh, I would love to pick it back up one day. Um, But things are just so complicated right now uh, with with the global pandemic. Uh, But another day. Yeah. Well, you're also a musician. I haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, I, I yeah. like to tickle the ivories. I, I play keyboard. Yeah. Sometimes guitar. Yeah. Sometimes ukulele. 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 I think I've seen you play the ukulele. I'm sure you have. Yeah. It's just a small guitar, but you can do great things with it. Well, it's been 15 years. I've probably <laughs> seen a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, playing the piano. I grew up playing the piano as a kid. You know, I lost it over the years. So many passions and talents in the arts that you know that it's there you know especially if you have a really busy you know privileged childhood um 
but uh, it's it's one of the shames of life. You know, you grow up, you you know, depending on the path you pick, you go to school, get a job, all that stuff, and uh, all that other stuff kind of just falls by the wayside. You know, it's a shame. It is a shame, but you know, there's so much to life, and uh, I take the lessons from martial arts and the discipline. Uh, even though I said that self-discipline is, is really just passion in disguise or unhappiness. But, um, yeah, I, I, I take a lot of the, the practice from it. And, like, I, I write code every day. I used to do martial arts every day. Now I write code every day. And it keeps my mind thinking about the details and, and learning new techniques and technologies uh, helps me grow in my thoughts and it helps me understand my craft and and really that's a much bigger part of my identity now um than than martial arts probably was which is you know it's weird to think that but you know you grow and you change as a person and uh you know i went to, to french school until university oh wow and so that was a big change too you know um everything changes in life but you get used to it or maybe right. nothing changes and you get used to it yeah, well, no, definitely. I think I think anyone who's been around long enough knows that life is just change. Life is just constant change. But um, you do, you do, I think that. I think you get used to the concept of change. You know, and it's a tough pill to swallow. I'm saying this from personal experience. You know, that there, there have been things in my life where I thought would be forever, and then uh, life kicks you right in the guts, and you realize, oh no, that's not what this is going to be. That's not. And regardless of what you want or what you think about it or what you do or what you say or whatever, you know, it's completely outside of your control. And you think you're, you know, the next 50 years of your life was going to look a certain way. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're, you're uh, adrift. Yeah. I, you know? I know it's, it's hard because you were born with those wisdom teeth. <laughs> I wasn't talking about my, my wisdom teeth, which are going to be coming out sooner, sooner, hopefully sooner rather than later. But yeah, I was talking about my career. I was talking about, you know, relationships. I was talking about stuff that, you know, I think we're all just looking for a sense of home, you know, a place where it's like, this is it. This is this is my safe space with the people that I trust and I care about and the life that I want to live. And I can't think of anything else that I'd rather do or anywhere else I'd rather be. And I want to just be here forever. You know, right. we're looking, everyone's looking for a home. And um, it's sad because... You know, sometimes you think you've found that and you didn't. You really didn't. You didn't know that you didn't, but life tells you later on. Life shows you that you didn't. And you know, what you said earlier in the this episode was um, that you knew nothing when you started your practice. And and I think that's that might still be true in, in some ways, you know, because what can you really know besides how you feel in the moment? Well, yeah, nobody tells you how to to go through life you know like people will teach you about skills you know you want to learn how to be a welder you want to learn how to drive a truck you want to learn how to program you want to go to law school learn the law you want to do all that stuff i'm not asking you hey andrew's shaking his head because he's making a silent dad joke now <laughs> you know you want to do if you want to learn any of that stuff you can but uh you know where along the educational journey did people tell you, you know, how to 
how to communicate, how to have, you know, civil, respectful disagreements with your spouse or how to, you know, deal with a kid that you're raising being uh, disrespectful towards you, you know, as a parent, how to, you know, there's how to do your taxes, not oh, a single geez. class in high school is going to teach you uh, how to do your taxes. Yeah, maybe no, actually, maybe today. Classes today but, but when I when I was in school, who, they who didn't. Nobody gave class. a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He did, he did. But it's it's rare. And actually, they're bringing it into the curriculum. Yeah. Not specifically taxes, but finance in general. Yeah. Which is really big. For, financial for literacy. Ontario. Yeah. Huge. I tell you, like I didn't receive any financial literacy training in my education. It was nuts. And my parents, oh, good, good luck with that. They didn't give me an ounce of financial That reminds training. me. You know why the uh, the elephant quit the circus? Why the elephant quit it's the circus? He's working for peanuts. He's <laughs> working for peanuts. Look, they, we're actually, we're going to lose, we're going to lose listeners if that made that joke. So <laughs> oh, I got to slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. That's <laughs> ahead of schedule. I think I just said three dad jokes in a row past... The, it's it's not the half hour. But so. thinking positively, we actually gained some as well. Because some people are like, "Oh, this is the kind of wholesome humor I signed up for." You know? Like, yeah. You know, you were talking about three big things. You said taxes was the third one. You said the second one. You said was what do you do with the kids being disrespectful, and the the first one you said was uh, how to have respectful disagreements with your spouse. And I think the answer to the first two is find win win situations. When you're dealing with kids and when you're dealing with spouse. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, you got to do the stakeholder analysis and see what the motivation is and what they really want. Yeah. And, and then say, well, this is how you can get what you want. It sounds great in theory, but, you know, we're a big part of our practice is family law. And once two people just want to see the other person burn, there's mm-hmm. no more like at some point, either one or both of them abandon the value so of win win. And their their entire goal is to just see how much damage they can inflict on the other person. That's terrible. And I'm not I'm not saying this has not happened. Just for clarity, this has not happened to me personally. I'm talking about clients. I'm talking about the trends you see out there in family court. And it's 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 petty and it's silly because you're looking at it and you're like, you know, you're spending all this time, and more importantly, you're wasting money on lawyers when you could really be keeping that for yourselves. You know, like all that money you paid to your lawyer or that you're trying to get your spouse to pay the lawyer or whatever, you know, that could have that could have gone to your kids. You know, it could have gone to make your lives better. And there's a lot of people out there that opt for like um, a more um, civil, collaborative. That's a huge upcoming industry, collaborative family law, where they agree, like, we don't want to fight in court. That's we don't great. want to blast a bunch of money on lawyers who are at each other's throats. We want to get a collaborative lawyer to, to draw up something for a reasonable price that will be in the absolute best interests of our kids and save ourselves money and time and a lot of headache. And there's a lot of really great collaborative family lawyers out there who, who do that work on the daily, and I respect that. And I think, you know, it goes back to what I was talking about getting more into charity law, where it's like, which of these two areas of law, you know, litigation versus helping charities, which one would bring more meaning and impact and happiness to my life? So... Um, you know, you got you to gotta ask these questions. And I, 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 I can recognize the inherent privilege in my statement because it's like, well, yeah, easy for you to say, you know, you got a steady job. You're not worrying about, you know, a, a lot of the things that people have to worry about financially speaking. Sometimes you got to work a job you don't like because you got to pay the bills. I, yep. I totally get that. But if you are lucky, I mean, it's, part of it is hard work, but part of it is luck. If you are lucky enough that you have the freedom to ask yourself questions like, 
what are my passions and can I afford to pursue those passions? And if the answer is yes, I can afford financially afford to pursue those passions. There's nothing standing in between you and doing that. You should do it. And I think probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but the people who are going through these uh, terrible antagonistic divorces are are not focusing on their meaning, legacy, and passion in life. Yeah, legacy. It goes back to what you were talking about, legacy. It's like what what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind if, you know, to one day 40 years from now, you you know, you're gone and the the memory that your adult children have of you is this, you know, angry person. Angry person that was angry at their at their mom or their dad or whatever, right? You know, like you got to you got to have some if there's one, you know, um, message you want to instill on your kids when you're going through something like that is that uh, you had respect for their other parent and that you also conducted yourself in a way that was deserving of respect. You know, not all parents deserve respect. I'll say that straight up. Not all parents deserve the res- that respect. That is a hot take. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm telling you because, like, I... Uh, I'll be real. Like I, I have mixed feelings about how I was raised. You know, on the one hand, I had parents who provided for me quite a bit. They worked hard so that we would have a materially com- comfortable life. Um, they were, for as much as they could, they tried to be there in terms of spending time. But was the environment toxic? Yeah, absolutely. The environment was toxic. Was it uh, unhealthy? Was it at times? dare I say violent? Yeah. All that was there. And was that acceptable? No. Is that uh, something I should forgive them for? Some people will say, yeah, forgiveness only frees yourself. It heals yourself. It's not about the other person. It's about yourself. Um, and on the other hand, it's like, no, don't forgive. Don't forget. Don't, don't like you should, you should make sure that people who put you through that kind of trauma know that they've done that and never let them forget it. So there's that, there's that element of vengeance, you know, like you see, and this is, you know, I'm switching back into the t- jumping between my, my life and my knowledge of the law back and forth. You look at cases of, like, elder abuse. You know, it, it's a terrible thing. It's obviously no one's going to say, yeah, elder abuse, who cares, whatever. No, you don't, you don't want to hear. It makes people sick to hear about yeah. cases of, like, people in their 80s and 90s, whatever, being abused by, whether it's by, uh, you know, staff at some facility somewhere or if it's their own adult children. And a lot of when you look at elder abuse cases, you ask, you know, like kind of investigate what the uh, what the perpetrator's motivations were. Um, A lot of them will tell you it's because their parent abused them as a child. So they've lost all ability to empathize with their parent. And if they're neglecting their parent or they're abandoning their parent or otherwise harming their parent, they just don't care because it's like this is payback time. And it's a it's a crazy thing to say. Like just even hearing the words come out of my mouth, it's like, wow, that's dark. That's some dark yeah, shit. Yeah, that's that's dark. But the thing is, that is that's the society that we live in. That's happening right now as we speak. What is society though? But the people, yeah, who make up society. It's a collection of people. Right now, at this very moment, I'm sure there's people out there who are doing wonderful things for their grandma, their grandpa, whatever. And there are people out there who are, you know, unfortunately committing atrocities, you know, and harming our, our elderly. And there's very, like, complex psychological childhood-related trauma behind some of this stuff. Is is it justified? No, I don't think it's justified. Like, okay, you know, my 
my dad used to do, you know, beat me or whatever. Like, and then you think when you grow up and now you're 35, 40 years old, you're going to do that to your parent. No, it's a crime. And, and not only is it a crime, it's completely immoral. Um, but there's, you know, there's always, there's always a, a greater context to understanding criminal behavior, or even if it's not, doesn't rise to the level of criminality, it's just rises to the level of this guy's an asshole. Um, there's a context, there's a history behind it, usually. We hope. Yeah, we hope. Or maybe sometimes people are just born a certain way. Actually, speaking of people being born a certain way, I saw, I heard about, and I was watching this video online, this really, really fascinating um, study that they did on mice. And you know, you're a pretty well-read guy. You might have even heard about the study. Before. What was the study? So the study was, it was about epigenetics. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you know a little bit I know a little bit, bit about, about epigenetics. epigenetics. Yeah. So what they did, and it sounds cruel, so, you know, trigger warning, if you don't like hearing about medical experiments on mice, then you can skip this part or whatever. But, you know, they took some mice or what is it, rats or whatever, whatever it was. Rodents. Yeah, rodents, yeah. And they had them in this, um, this little container or whatever. And they would, uh, they would put the smell of cherry blossoms into the container. The mouse, rat, whatever, could smell it. And what they would do is they would give the, at the time of, you know, uh, putting this aroma into the box, they would also shock the rat. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. yeah any, every time we hear about any kind of experience involving rats and something, putting them through pain or killing them, it's, it's always hard, tough to listen to. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it, some of this stuff, um, you know, it, it, if you can listen to it and understand the science behind it, you know, there's, there's scientific uh, conclusions that can be drawn from it. Um, so, you know, the rat, you know, if they repeated this, obviously, you know, like you were saying, uh, Pavlovian conditioning. And uh, eventually, the rat started to uh, fear, fear the, sound. the smell, the smell rather, yeah. of the cherry blossom. And um, sad. And you could tell that they were fearful because, you know, like the way they move around in the box or like the sounds they make or their heart rates or whatever. Yeah, they have ways of measuring that stuff. So then, and here's where things get really interesting. And if you heard the study before, this will be whatever boring for you. But like, they got the rats that had been through this ordeal to mate. These are all male rats. If that makes anyone feel better, you know, they were male, so it's okay to shock them or whatever. Lol. <laughs> but like, um, they took these male rats and they had them mate with female rats that had never been through any of that stuff. That. The female rats had absolutely no reason to no fear, trauma. no trauma, had no reason to fear the cherry blossom smell. They hadn't been shocked, nothing. They hadn't even watched it happen. They had no idea that the, these these male rats had been through that experience. And they mated and they had children. And then they took the the, the children of these, you know, the, the baby, the child rats. And just so that you know, it's, we're not talking about there, no, no child rats got shocked or anything like that. But they, they took these young babies. Exposed them to the scent. Yes, and they exposed them to the scent. And the, the, and this is a, this is a part. And, and the parents were not around. They didn't have the male rat around to make it. They just took the child by themselves, yeah. child rat, baby rat, and they exposed them to the scent. And they, they fucking freaked out. They freaked out. Damn. Yeah. They, well, they, you know, I really wonder whether or not animals can communicate more sophisticated thoughts than we admit. And, and I, I drew a funny comic for my kids where there's these two people 
sitting in a park talking about the weather. Nice day today, don't you think? And there's these two birds going chirp, chirp, chirp. And then it zooms into the, the birds in the next uh, frame. And the birds say, do you think that humans can communicate meaningfully? And the other one says, no. They're so dumb they can't even fly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Like, it, there is a possibility that, yeah, that it was you know, somehow the, the the dad rat told the kid in some sophisticated way that we don't know. Uh, you know, the smell is, is a danger, you know. Yeah. But if it's the case that rats don't have, and again, I'd have to read the study to see how much separation they had. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, it maybe the dad wasn't even around when the kid was born, and then you know, that there's some separation there. Whatever it was, the conclusion that the study got here was like, okay, there's something at least, at the very least, something in your olfactory nerves that is connected to, you know, genetic memory somehow and if it's you know maybe it's just something that maybe it's that memory passes through scent and maybe it's possible that it wouldn't have had the same result if it was a sound or if it was something else so we don't know i don't want to jump to conclusions but there is this study unequivocally states that indicates that there's something being passed through genetic memory there and you know when you look at intergenerational trauma when you look at, you know, why you feel the way you do about certain things and why you um, behave the way you behave. And, you know, obviously children have a lot of exposure to their parents growing up, so they're going to obviously start to emulate their parents, and a lot of it is just from what you see. But it's interesting because, like, this study kind of lends itself to the idea that if you were to, you know, just be born without any humans around and you're not being influenced by your parents or society or whatever. Raised by wolves. You know, let's say you're raised by wolves in the forest, whatever, right? You, you would, you would have some genetic programming in you, in your, in the very fiber of your being that is predisposing you to certain types of thoughts and behaviors, which Mm -hmm. is wild to me because it almost, in the thing that feelings, are they genetic? The, the thing that bugs me about this whole thing I mean, it's, it's science is science. You know, the facts are whatever the facts are. But but when I look at them, the way it makes me feel is like it almost robs me of my sense of autonomy in some way. You know, right. it's like I am pre-built to behave or think in a certain Do way. Do you feel like it takes accomplishments away from you? I don't even feel like... Identity? I don't even feel like it's a question of accomplishments. I think it's a question of identity. That's right. Yeah, because you, you go through life thinking to yourself... I can create whatever Maybe identity I want. it's your individualism more than your identity that you feel like is being taken from you. Because you can have an identity that is rooted in your 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 history, your ancestors, uh, and, and feel totally at ease. But if somebody is taking away your individualism, well, I think some people would be more upset about that than others. Yeah, well, especially if you if your ancestry is has values and beliefs that you reject. And I think no matter who you are, and this is not like a um, meant to be discriminatory against any specific group of people, but no matter what group you belong to, you know, religious, ethnic, whatever, however you want to categorize people, there are some, there are inevitably, inevitably going to be some aspects of your um, cultural history that don't need to be carried into the future. For sure. For sure. For sure. That's evolution. Like, that's evolution. Yeah. There's, you know, whatever, if you think, okay, you know, there's, there's a going back generations. There's a propensity for 
you know, misogyny in my family or culture or whatever, right? You know, again, um, not focusing on any specific country or ethnicity, but like if there's if that's there, that doesn't need to be passed down to yourself. I'm sorry, that doesn't need to be internalized yourself or passed down to your children. Yeah, that means you got to um, do the work to understand and recognize and heal from it. Yeah, and knowing that what you're trying to overcome in part is like epigenetic, you know, memory that's built into your your DNA or whatever you want to call it, you know, like, and maybe I'm taking too much away from the study and maybe I'm making too many, like, obviously there's probably a clinical psychologist out there. Like your, like your friend out there who will be like, no, that's not how it works at all. You, know? <laughs> you have so much more control over your thoughts and your behavior. And I'm, I would be glad to hear someone tell me that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one day we'll know Yeah, when we have measurements for it. Yeah. So I think overall though, like the world is going such a more positive direction when it comes to like values yeah. when it comes to like, you know, you look at, um, how, uh, how, like, you know, my, my brother's gay and yeah. he's 40. So yeah. he's seen what the world was like when there was a lot more homophobia than there is today. Now, yeah. obviously the world is not free of homophobia, it's not done. We got work to do still. but the, the progress, the progress that's being made in his lifetime that he's like, he's the way he's seen the world change. Um, it's pretty incredible, you know, and it's not just, it's not just a matter of like legal rights, but it's also, you know, like everyday day-to-day interactions with people. You're, you're, you're walking around, you can walk around with more dignity, you know? Um, obviously there are still parts of the world where you can't because people are, you know, still their mentality is still stuck in you know, whatever ancient way of thinking. But, um, and it's not just, it's not just, I'm not just talking about home, you know, uh, the, the gay community, homophobia and the gay community. I'm talking about like, um, the inherent worth and dignity of all kinds of marginalized groups, you know, look at, uh, I know I'm going on a bit of a rant, but it's a podcast. So feel free to interrupt me, Andrew, but like, interrupt. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, like, look at, uh, Lily Singh having her own, you know, late night show. I know that she's not anymore and that she's, that's getting wrapped up, but like, for a couple of, I think, what was it, like maybe two seasons it ran? One or two seasons? I don't know. Demi Lovato just came out as non-binary. Yeah. They're a they-them. Yeah. Yeah, I heard about that as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, just imagine, like, in the 80s or 90s, having a um, anybody other than an old white man or, like, middle-aged white man having a late show on, like, primetime TV. Like... I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's, By the way, thank you, Demi Lovato. You're doing great work. You know, your credit to uh, to diversity. I, I'll be honest. Like, I like Demi Lovato's music. I just haven't heard of any recently. Maybe there's like last week. There's a new song came out last week. Oh no, no, not necessarily. It, it's though. I mean, they came out about uh, being non. No, no, that, that I heard about. Oh, okay, but I, I was talking about, talking about their musical career, and like you know, I thought some of this stuff was pretty catchy. But oh, yeah, I, it is. Yeah, but I, I just hadn't heard of any, anything from Demi Lovato in a while. But I could be totally out of touch. There could be, like, some fresh music that's out there that I Let haven't heard. Let me check heard. my Spotify. <laughs> Lovato. See discography. 2021. Yeah, there's new stuff. Nice. Yeah, you know, speaking of music, like, I saw, I've seen more than one TikTok video where one American and one Canadian are just, like, in, in the frame. And they're both, they, they'll play 
songs that were like big hits in Canada. And then you see the Americans' reaction, and you see the Canadians' reaction, and it's like some of these songs they'd never heard of in their life, yeah. which is crazy to us as Canadians because we think that these are like, like big time, super famous. Everybody songs. Everybody knows these famous people. Yeah, exactly. But we like we live in this bubble yeah. where it's like some a lot of our, a lot of our creative content that's out there is like strictly like you only yeah. hear it in Canada. That's right. <laughs> you don't you don't realize it until you get on an app like TikTok and you see an American be like, I've never heard of this. And you're like, what? I didn't know that was like basically only big in Canada. <laughs> some, some like I mean, Justin Bieber's Canadian. So is Drake. Yeah, so is Drake. You know, like we're Canadians are tearing it up in the entertainment industry. I'll tell you that. Not bad. Another fun episode of So Chill with Andrew and. Is that is that what we're calling it now? So chill. I thought that's so, what. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 it's so true. Chill. It was a great. Yeah, okay. So we're, so we're going to call it so chill. It was just, you know we're just chilling out because this yep. this podcast is just so chill. So chill with Andrew and Ryan. There you go. There you go. Boom. You've been listening to So Chill with Andrew and Ryan. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Spotify and chill out with us again next time.